0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and successful. I'm Tyler Tischler from Superior Book Promotions.
1: And I'm Victor Volkman with Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 107 in our series. Tonight's topic will be indexing, typesetting, and more, and what does it mean. And our special guest is Walt Scheel. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear your questions and comments about tonight's show. Please send them to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we're on the line with independent publisher Walt Sheil, who claims he is now into his fourth career, following stints as an Air Force pilot, telecommunications engineer, aerospace engineer on the B-2, and the F-22, F-35, and F-16 pilot training programs at Lockheed Martin. Waltz has been a freelance writer since 1992, with magazine articles published all over the U.S., U.K., and Australia. Currently, he's writing the Warbirds column for Cessna Flyer magazine and the View from the Publishing Trenches blog. Walt has served on the board of directors of the Upper Peninsula Publishers and Authors Association for the past four years. Walt and his wife Carrie and his daughter Lisa founded Slipdown Mountain Publications in 2003, originally in North Texas, but have since relocated to Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Since then, they have published three novels, two military histories, and two other nonfiction titles, and one short story collection. Around 2007, they formed a subsidiary, Five Rainbow Services, for authors and publishers to meet the demands for assistance from other people trying to self-publish. They do a number of things, including converting print books to Kindle and other EPUB formats. And Walt himself has written two military history books and a Michigan historical novel, Devil in the North Woods, and a short story collection. Is also edited reprints of Flying for France by James R. McConnell. His latest book, Rough War An American Fighter Pilot's World War II Journey to Burma and Back, is due out in midsummer 2010. Wow, well, welcome, Walt.
0: Oh, thank you. Good to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you, Walt, especially since uh, we know each other through the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. I've had the privilege of. Uh, reading some of your writings, some of your stories and your books. And um, just, I know you've really, really blossomed into uh, providing services to authors with um, book design and typesetting, and lately, really, you've gotten into e-books. So we have all kinds of questions for you. I want to start out and just ask you basically... Um, is Is there a difference between book design and typesetting? I, I hear both of the terms and I'm not really sure I also hear um, you know the person that does the layout of the book how is how is uh, that different from book design?
2: Okay well, there was a time when there were in publishing when there was a distinct difference between the book design and the typesetting or layout function where the book designer would actually by hand, usually, sketch out, I want it to look this way with this kind of a font here and this size oriented this way you know, for titles and for subheadings and all these things. And, and, and as desktop publishing tools got better and better and the software got better and better, the f- two functions kind of merged. So, But it, it's generally, it's one person that does it all. However, the functions still have to function... Have to be segregated in time when you do it. Because if you don't have a good design concept before you start actually doing the typesetting, which is what happens after the words are into the software and you start making decisions as well, does that page look good that way? Do I make adjustments here? So now you're really into typesetting. But still, you have to do the upfront design. Um, there's a lot of things that have to go into making those decisions. You have to look at the nature of the manuscript itself, What's the tone? Is it light and breezy? Is it heavy and, and academic? Uh, you know, who's it for? Young kids? Senior citizens? Lawyers? You know, what, what's your target audience? And of course, the presence of graphics, photos, and tables, and bulleted or numbered lists, long chapter titles, you know, chapters with a lot of epigraphs right up there under the chapter headings, uh, multiple subheadings within the chapters, you know, footnotes, endnotes, everything like that goes into it has to be evaluated before you settle this is what the book's gonna look like and now I'm gonna go pour the words into this.
0: Okay, so you're basically you're saying the, the design it would be kinda of like you you design a template that the the words are gonna flow around on the page, like around the pictures and what the headers and the footers would all would all look like. So what um what would you say are the the key, the key decisions. Can you like, give us maybe you know two or three main points that a person would want to absolutely make sure they do in designing the book before they just start doing the typesetting?
2: Well, you know, some, some of the uh, some of the things I, I just hit upon. You know, look, looking at how many levels of headings and subheadings. Yeah, you know, if you start into a design and all the chapters have nice short uh, chapter titles, but you get to the back and here's a real long one. Well, you don't want that chapter title to wind up being wrapped around, so you may have to redesign the you know, set a design that's a little bit different than what you thought you would have originally because you have a couple of very long uh, chapter headings. But um, the tone of the book really is important because you know, people are always asking. You, know, you see it on, the, on publishing group lists. I get questions on my blog. I get questions from Twitter. People say, what font should I use for my book? Well, that's sort of like somebody saying, what car should I buy? I don't know, I mean, it depends on so many things, and there are plenty of perfectly good fonts out there, you know, hundreds of them probably, but the font choice is usually something a designer makes as you kind of read the book and say, you know, this one needs a very open font, and it needs a, a lot of letting, and a space between the lines um, to make it flow well, or this book has got really long paragraphs, and I've got to figure out what can I do to a font that's going to make that very readable uh, from the uh, uh, reader's standpoint, as opposed to somebody sitting there and you know, their eyes glaze over and they look at these long paragraphs. So all those things are are, are key elements in, in trying to make a decision. And if your primary audience is senior citizens, you might want to consider larger fonts and more readable fonts.
0: Okay. Well, I, I've never really thought of that before, but that makes perfect sense to me. Um, what what about, like, photographs? How would that be different?
2: Well, yeah. A lot of things have to take into consideration when you're looking at photographs. Um, What's the quality of the photographs? If you've got a sufficient resolution, you know, the printer is going to want generally at least a 300 DPI image. And that's got to be 300 DPI at the size you want it printed. So if you want that image to show 3x4, then you've got to have a 900x1200 pixel image. If you don't have that, then the designer's got to kind of play around a little bit and can I milk it out of it? Sometimes you can, and it's still usable. Sometimes you can't. you got to go back and say, you got to find a better image than that. Well, we've got to get a better quality scan if it was scanned. So, and then you have to decide, when you set up your margins, sometimes, and I did this in a military history book I did recently, that where we decided to make very wide outside margins on the pages, and the photographs... Although the the text does wrap around part of it, part of it actually extends into that wide margin with the captions under it. And that made it very easy to find the photographs and read the caption without having to kind of visually extract it out of a mass of text around it. Uh, Sometimes you want it, you know, right in the middle of it, and you're going to have the text wrap all around it. And then you have to decide, well, what's the minimal amount of space I have to have on either side of that graphic before... I start winding up with these really short lines, and you have to get really short lines. And you're trying to keep it flush, you know, justified on both sides. Then you wind up having spacing problems with words and stuff. Um, so all those things I have to be taken consideration. Means you have to look at all the graphics. You can't just look at one or two. You got to look at them all. Where do they go? Now, what am I? How am I going to lay this out so that those will fit in there
1: and look okay and be usable? Great. Let's talk a little bit about about the software side of, of typesetting. Should I be able to just, you know, spend $500 and get InDesign and, and the thing will kind of do it for me? Or or what are my options as a, a self-publisher?
2: Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people seem to <clears throat> think that way about it. That if I buy InDesign, all I do is learn how to use the software. <laughs> but, you know, that's like uh, saying, if I buy a workshop full of tools, I'm an excellent carpenter.
1: <laughs> right, so right. use
2: that saw. Well, that won't necessarily be true. Now, that's not to say you can't learn it, but I would say any good uh, book designer is going to have a reference shelf of books. And I know I have about <clears throat> four of them sitting up there where I can they're right at arm's length. Because a lot of times you think, you know, I know that, was a, that particular problem was addressed in Ringhurst's book. So I w- look it out and I'll look it up and say, ah, that's how he suggested handling that. And I look at the book and say, oh, okay, that'll work there. And you also wind up reading a lot of stuff that you think at the time it doesn't matter some of it is a little bit of history and typography and book design and some of it is just some theory behind it why some things are, done you know, there's a lot of conventions as there are in most any uh, operations uh, whether it's books or something else and you know, if you go about and say well I can break the rules, well, of course you can but it's important to first know the rules before you start breaking them so you know why they were set up in the first place and so if you get by buy that InDesign software, for instance, yes, it's pricey, and it takes, it's not like Word at all, it's very different, and so if you're very familiar with Word, you're not going to just be able to leap right into InDesign and do a good job, particularly if later downstream what you would like to have is not only a print book, you'd like to have an e-book. If you don't set up that InDesign file right up at the start, you're going to have a hell of a time getting it converted into, a, into an e-book at the end without having to do a lot of changes. So I recommend people spend some time studying the theory behind, even if you don't understand all of it or don't think you care about all of it, get that little background going in in the back of your brain there before you start learning the tool. Then you can go, and I highly recommend that you go and get some of the the excellent videos that are out there. lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com is an excellent place to you have to pay money, you know, for those videos, but they're well worth. They'll save you so much time and aggravation. Um, so, yeah, InDesign is probably the flagship software right now. That's what everybody's kind of migrating to. There's still people using Quark Express, and there are people who will typeset books using Microsoft Word. Now, I have done that. If, if it's strictly a tech, all textbook, you can do it if you are willing to spend the time to do to learn what Word is really capable of, and you have to override a whole lot of defaults to get there. InDesign, on the other hand, is a typesetting software, but you can't just pour the words in there and say, okay, go do it. It still requires the human touch to go in there and, and do some fine-tuning and then know what the limitations are. You know, I can make this, many, this much of a change here, but I don't dare go much beyond that because it's going to affect it in the end.
1: Yeah, those are all good points. I, I, I couldn't agree more uh, with you. I've I've done quite a bit more with Word than I, I care to admit, and uh, I've also used Quark Express and... Uh, you know, you'd be surprised. Almost every community college has a course you can take on InDesign. So, I, you know, mm-hmm. if that's the kind of thing you like to do, you can certainly try that, too. Let's let's segue over into e-book design. What are some of the key differences between uh, printed book and e-book design?
2: Well, <clears throat> a lot of people ask me, what does it cost to make a book? Well, what does it take to make a book into an e-book? And I said, well, that question sort of Leads one to think that there is one solution that represents ebook. Unfortunately, that's just not true these days. If you have produced a book for print, you've already made one ebook because you've undoubtedly made a printer ready PDF. What is a PDF? PDF is the first version of an ebook. Well, not really the first. You go, go go back to straight text. That was really, there were ebooks and then, and then, straight text because I don't know why I used to read so. Um, so you have made one there just by doing a PDF. Unfortunately, that doesn't play very well on the dedicated readers. It works real nice reading it on a PC or a laptop or even a netbook. It doesn't work so well on a Kindle. It doesn't work very well on a phony reader or a Barnes & Noble Nook or any of the other multitude of readers. But to get from there, you have to have a very structured um, design for the book so that when you switch it over so you can – basically a Kindle, for instance, is basically HTML. With a lot of limitations and a subset of the whole HTML possibilities, and then a little superset over here of things that you can do in a Kindle that, you, that HTML generally doesn't have a clue about. So, and, and if you really need to know, for instance, cascading style sheets, and then you need to design your book for print so that the styles that you're defining will naturally flow over into that, that ebook so you could pick them up as, uh, in the style declaration. An ebook. Then you look at EPUB. Well, InDesign theoretically will pop out an e-book, EPUB format just fine. I've never, yet to see one do it without errors. <laughs> and you'd think that that well, EPUB Adobe was an, one of the main players in, in developing that standard with the IDPF folks, and uh, uh, InDesign is an Adobe product. Boy, you'd sure think that they would just port it right out there and it'd be perfect. Well, not really. And, you have to, again, you have to be real careful, especially when you start putting in graphics and stuff. Boy, if you don't put them in there, right there, you have to show up in all kinds of squirrely places. in get EPUB. And almost always, one of the steps before we say an EPUB document is ready, for instance, is you run an EPUB check on it. And even if I pulled it, did all that nice work up front, it really looks great, and I'm sure I got it laid out properly, export that EPUB out of InDesign, run it through the EPUB check, and I get errors. I'm have to go back. And then you have to know some XML and uh, how to open up that EPUB file and manipulate and make some changes in the files that are inside of it to be able to produce one that looks good. Now, does that matter? And I've written some blogs uh, on that topic. Does design matter for an e-book? Well, if you cruise around the, the forums on the Kindle section of Amazon or you look at some of the comments on some of the reviews of Kindle books, or you look at some of the other blogs out there where people are discussing Kindle books, one of the biggest complaints you see time and time again is, oh, there are typos in here. There are weird line breaks. There are uh, hyphens in the middle of words in the middle of a the paragraph. There are, And people are just griping about that all the time. And that's because somebody has tried to do it, and big publishers are just as guilty as anybody else. Has tried to use some kind of an automated tool to create that, that Kindle version or to create that EPUB. And you wind up with, Something that looks like it was cranked out of a out of a uh, an automated tool, and they just don't they just don't work that well so it's it's very important, and the you have to keep in mind what your target device is when you're creating them so that you don't exceed its capabilities. I see a lot of people trying to create ebooks and they don't own or seem to have any interest in looking at the devices that their potential readers are going to be reading on. And so they really don't know what they're doing. They're shooting in the dark. And you know, i like, yeah, I, I did what it said here in this uh, guidance over here, but if you can't proof it, I proof constantly when I'm creating ebooks. I'm just constantly proofing and going back and making changes, proof, make changes, proof, make
0: changes. I just bounce back and forth between the software to do that.
2: It would be nice if it was really straightforward, but it just
0: isn't. Well, I'm just kind of uh, fl- flabbergasted. Well, my my head is kind of racing in terms of <laughs> all of the the thought about ebooks. And uh, th- the only reader I'm familiar with right now is the Kindle. And I haven't even bought a Kindle reader. I downloaded the free version mm-hmm. so I could uh, read them on my P- PC. Sure. And. Uh, I I think the whole concept is great but I was just really I'm I'm the kind of reader that's very um I always have to know what page I'm on and how many more pages I have to go and when I opened up the Kindle reader I have no no clue where in the book I am when I'm reading on it and there are there are no page numbers and uh yeah, that, that, that's, I don't that, even know how many. Even if in a word document, I can tell there's you know forty thousand words, and I'm on word twenty thousand three or something, and that okay, doesn't right. even work. So I'm wondering how, if, if you're going to design a book for an e, to become an ebook, how are the formats or are the different ebook readers formats differently, and are there yeah. what what kinds of things do you have to look for that are different yeah. compared to Kindle, say, versus the Nook or yeah, one of the I other think. readers.
2: You brought up one one thing that I'm constantly dealing with with clients who say, I don't want my book done, I want I want the pagination to stay the same. I have to keep explaining. Pages are irrelevant <laughs> to an e-book. Uh, I don't know how many times I've had to say that, but pages are irrelevant to an e-book. Why is that true? If you look at e- even the Kindle for PC desktop application that you were talking about, you can change the font. You can change it from really small up to really large. Right. What does that do for what you can see on a given screen? You can see a whole bunch of text that's you know, very small, or you can see very little text. In some cases, just uh, you know, maybe uh, 30 words you know, fit when you go to a really large size, and that fills up an entire screen. So what does a page mean? It doesn't mean anything. That's why Kindle doesn't have page numbers. What it does, is down at the bottom, it has location numbers. You can look down you can say, "I'm at location one hundred and twenty four and you look over on the right side and you can see it goes to uh three thousand eight hundred and fifty well that that gives you a relative position now when you go to the Kindle Two or the Kindle dX, which is the newer versions of the Kindle it ha- if the book was designed with them in mind, you can have waypoints set which basically mark chapters so you can see as you as a little uh, Completion bar works its way across as you go page to page, and the location numbers change. You can see how close you are to the end of a chapter by looking at the little waypoint marks, and you can jump to them with uh, uh, little joysticks in there. So, you know, those that have helped to help with navigation. Uh, a really good table of contents, and sometimes multiple tables of contents. We, we've had cases where somebody has, you know, fifteen chapters, but within each chapter, you know. 10 different uh, subheadings that are important to it, which normally would show up as sub uh, entries in the table of contents, but makes such a long table of contents that it's not very usable. So we put a second table of contents for the chapter up at the head of the chapter. That allows you to jump around. It's also possible to do a linked index. It generally can be expensive to do it depending on how the book was set up and how many there are. I just completed one that had 223 footnotes that we converted to endnotes. And they're all linked. I mean, you click on the, the EndNote number in the text, and it jumps to that EndNote, and you can jump right back. Um, now, how does the Kindle differ from a Nook? Not a whole lot. They both use the e-ink display technology. The sound is not backlit. You know, it's actually trying to mimic a, the appearance of text on a page, a printed page. Uh, what the Nook adds is a little extra window at the bottom that's that's, co- that's a color window, a color LCD screen that allows you to do a little bit of navigation amongst your various books and buy books and maybe do a little bit of limited web browsing using a little bitty, a very small color screen on the bottom. Otherwise, it's, it's basically the same except that the format that it uses, the input format that Barnes & Noble is EPUB. Uh, the Sony Reader is basically the same display technology as the Kindle, but it uses EPUB. They also use another proprietary format of their own, but generally they're going to EPUB. Um, and there are a lot of other formats out there that are very small. A study was done recently that determined that of people who have are actually out there reading and buying ebooks, books um, I believe the number was 47% we're reading PDFs on a PC or a Mac or a laptop or something. 34% were reading on Kindle. So whatever that means is left, which isn't where many split amongst all the other possibilities. So the primary markets right now are still PDF and Kindle. But the, the PDF uh, ebooks are probably losing ground as EPUB gains some traction in the market, particularly when the Apple iPad comes out next month. I've already got mine on order. It's supposed to be delivered the 3rd of April because I'm anxious to see what we can do with the iPad that we can't do with the other. Could, I don't know if I muddied the water there or made
0: it clearer. Hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still trying to recover from the page description there. It's kind of like going from the the standard measurement system to the metric system for me. Have,
2: have, you, no. have you read an EPUB book? You know, th- there's a free reader called Adobe Digital Editions. That you okay. can download off Adobe's website, and it will it reads EPUB. It'll also read PDF, but it's primarily designed for the EPUB market. And if you if you download an EPUB book, and double click on it after you've installed Adobe Digital Editions, it'll open the Adobe Digital Editions, and it's a very nice reader. It has page numbers that it automatically assigns that are on the right hand margin. Sometimes they cover up some of the text, but they're still meaningful. <laughs> It's, it's arbitrarily assigned. It doesn't relate to the page number in a book, so it's, how much value is it? I don't know. I don't think it's worth much. I, I keep trying to figure out a way to make Adobe Digital Editions not do that, but I don't think there is a way. Some of the other readers that do EPUB will also apply their own uh, page numbering scheme. How they make that determination, I don't know. But I think it's more of an
0: annoyance than it is a help. It's just a matter of getting... Used to the to doing it a different way, I think. Well,
2: really. I, I'm with you on on the idea that, that I like to thumb ahead. When I'm reading a book. I'm look ahead. And say, well, okay, there's a scene break over there. I'll read that part for tonight, and then I'll stop there. Right. And I can't do that very well on an ebook. Now, there are some there is some interesting other you know the there are things that are that are ebooks, and, and that people are selling as books. HTML all by itself. HTML is a perfectly good ebook platform. Mm-hmm. Generally, if you change it so it's an HTA product that makes uh, that therefore opens in its own little window it it works makes it look a little bit more look and feel a little bit more like a book to people there's uh some other technologies out there that uh, one called i think it's flip reader i think is what it's called i may not have that terminology right i was just playing with the other day you can buy the software and it, it it looks like you see two pages side by side on your on your pc and you actually can see, like like the pages, you know, when you open a book, the pages kind of fan out on the edge there. You can right. see that on there. And you can actually slide your, your, your cursor over there, and as you go across that stand out pages, it tell you what page number you're on, and you can click here, and it'll open to that page. I, I can't decide if that's a neat toy or if there's really some practical value to it, but yeah, that's out there.
1: How about, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh well I was just gonna say can we uh can we transition to um maybe talking about indexing for a minute or two? Um, I'm I'm just kinda curious, Walt, about how books are indexed in general. Does the author when they when they're done with the book, um, or when the I guess when the book is laid out, does the author actually submit the book, um, just just pass the book over to the person who's gonna index it, or does the author come up with the list of what they want indexed?
2: Yes. That's not being entirely flipped. There there, there are several approaches that are used. It kind of depends on the book, it depends on the author, and sometimes it depends on the budget. In the U.S., even when you're dealing with a major publisher, they usually expect the author to turn a book over with an index of some kind. At the very least, there's basically three levels. An author could just say, here's a list of things I want to make sure are indexed in the book. Key concepts, people's names, place names, whatever. Whatever those things are that he wants, to, these are important. These have got to be in the index, and the indexer might take that and say, "Okay, you know that's a good starting point, and we'll start going through the book with those in mind." Some uh, authors will go through and do a much more elaborate attempt, at, and th- on the theory that, well, I know my audience better than you do, and I know the subject matter better, which are both true, but you know, a good index is really. Um, requires the, the indexer to try to get in the mind of the reader and make something that is really going to help them find what they are most likely to want to know about the book. And the, the way in which indexers are, are usually going to work, what, what most of them prefer to do is they would prefer to get the final typeset version of the book, at least at the the proof point. You know, Maybe somebody's going to proofread it yet, yeah, but the, the pages are set as they're going to go to the... Uh, Printer. Usually, that means they get a PDF. And most of most indexes will use specialty software. There's several versions out there: uh, Syndex, Macrez, Sky Index, and some others. Or you can get add-ons for Word that'll help. You can get add-ons for InDesign that'll help you do it. My daughter is a has a uh, master's in library science and has a lot of training in their in, in college course on indexing, and has tried most of those, and so she wound up by, we've got in, Sky Index for her use because she's most comfortable using that. And that produces it, that requires it, that, that you go through and actually keep asking yourself, is every occurrence of this concept or this word or phrase really need to be indexed? Just because it's in the text, it doesn't necessarily, you know, it may just, the word just may appear up or the phrase may appear on a page, but there's no real additional information about that topic there. In which case the index replies say, well, what's the point? you know, and somebody's gonna flip you there and say, Well, that didn't help me. So you, you look for things that, that where there's really some information about whatever that is, whether it's a thing, a person, or or a concept. Um, and so it requires actually reading through the the manuscripts several times in order to get a good feel for how to do that. I uh, I know that some people think, well, but then what happens if I make changes? Well, that's why we usually say wait till you get got a final version or at least one that's so close it's not going to affect pagination. You know, maybe you find some typos or something um, because it will affect the end result. You know, a lot of times writers who don't really understand indexing but think they understand their topics, what they really come up with is a concordance. Here's all the important words and phrases, and by golly I want all those indexed. Well, that's not really an index. That's a concordance. You know, it's not, there's no system to it. There's no uh, criteria being applied, no thought process being applied to deciding which ones are important, which ones need to be cross-referenced, you know, which ones should say, see also this entry, or, you know, don't even list it. You just say, see this one. You know, you skip over to, a, to another section of the index to find more about it. Um, you know, with the end result in hoping to be a good structure, a, a, a good bit of clarity in the index so it's easy to use, and consistency throughout. Those are the key things that that an indexer needs to understand. So there's more to it than just having tools. There's more to it than just knowing what's in the book.
1: Amen to that. Uh, a badly constructed index is worse than than no index of all. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, before we close, how about let's hear some uh, words of wisdom from you, uh, advice to authors who are are just Believe that they're done with the text of their book and they're starting to think about how to turn their manuscript into a book. What would you tell them if you could tell them anything?
2: Now, are we, I assume in this context, we're talking about self publishing? Are you talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's just talk about self.
2: Okay. Um, first thing I would say is make sure that the last person who doesn't edit is not you or a relative. <laughs> Unless you have trained that relative very carefully, like I, I, my wife is frequently my last editor on my on stuff I write. But it didn't start out that way. She used to she reads, "Oh, I love it. It's wonderful." I say that didn't help me. <laughs> I know there's got to be some problems in there someplace. And so finally, she got to the point where she was say, "You know, this doesn't really make sense. Or, that that's not clear. I don't understand that." And and you know, plus finding obvious things, you know, typos and things like that. But you need, preferably, a professional editor, somebody who can put their editing hat on and not worry too much about about your your uh, feelings about the book. I mean, you're in love with your book. You've you've been living with it for months or years, but you need somebody who's going to take a cold, realistic look at it and say, "Here, you need to change the structure. You need to, this is just." Unwieldy. You know, it's hard to read. This is you know you can do better than this. Here's some suggestions on making improvements to it. But you need somebody who's not involved, and, and that's what that step is probably the most frequently. We get a lot of books to convert to Kindle that were self-published, print, and I look at them and I say, Did anybody edit this book? <laughs> but they're not paying me to edit. You know they just want me to make it into a Kindle, so I generally don't edit it. You know I, I cringe and kind of leave it the way it is. Oh, I hate to do that might have to go back and charge them a bunch more money if they want me to go back and edit it. Um, but that is that is probably the biggest failing. I mean, you could get by with a lot of poorly de- poor design in a book, but you can only get away with so much bad, edited, poorly edited uh, text because it's going to affect people. After a while, no matter how much they might want that content, sooner or later they're going to reach a point and say, boy, you know, what's with this? You know, I can't hardly read it, or it's got so many typos in it, I'm just, you know. um, So that is probably the biggest mistake people make, is trying to save money by bypassing the editor. A good editor is worth whatever they charge, and people don't seem to want to recognize that. Uh, The other thing is, when you get to that point, you've probably, I hope, because it's a question I always ask people, what's your marketing plan? Did you start that from the beginning? Because if you didn't start that way back when you first started writing it, you're probably behind the eight ball already. So, those are probably the two two biggest things. People leave it until the, the book's all done and say, How can I get this book marketed? Well, do you even know if there's a market out there? <laughs> so, you know, there's a, those are probably the two biggest uh, things that people seem to overlook. You know, the mechanics of getting a book published aren't, aren't really that difficult. Uh, if, if you're baffled by it, you can always find somebody who will. Help you shepherd it through that process. Exactly. If you done other things there, then all that help's not going to do much good.
1: Yeah, I like to say uh, any fool can put ink on paper. <laughs> you know, it's not that hard.
2: Many do. Occasionally, okay. but you know, sometimes it's not a matter of being a, that they don't know. They just you're too close to it. You can't edit your own work real well. I, over the years, I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty brutal on my own work when I go back, but I've got to leave it for a couple of days before I do that. Um, I, I try very hard not to fall in love with what I wrote because too many times i got to cut it out.
0: But I still, I, I don't want to be my own left. Walt, do you have any advice in terms of um, when the author is ready to have the book um, designed and types of how they go about finding the right person to do that for them?
2: Well, i tell you, the, the, still the best the best way to find is, if you know other people who are doing it, referrals. If somebody says, you know, I worked with, with uh, well, if I worked with Five Rainbows and I loved it and this is what they did for me, well, you know, we'd love to get those clients because they're, they're coming to us and they're not, they're, they know what they're to expect. Searching around the web, well, i tell you, but what you can find out there for any of the uh, phases of the process, varies from uh, very skilled people to people who really don't know what they're doing any more than you do. So I wish there was a way I could say, this is how you find them. So the best way, and how do you find that, find people through referrals? By participating in in groups where other people are doing Uh, self-publishing. You can follow people in publishing on Twitter. You can find them on Facebook. You can find groups like... uh, the span-sponsored uh, self-publishing uh, Yahoo group, uh, and there's a lot of others, and you'll find you'll find some of the people that you're looking for beyond those groups, and they'll be giving out their own you know information to people free, yeah. you know, right and left. People are always willing to, to share, you know, to help people out. And after you read the list, you think, well, you know, that person sounds like somebody I could work with because they they know what I don't know, and they seem you know to be able to express it in a way that makes sense to me. So, well, that's one of the best ways I think to find. Just cruising the Internet, you can find all kinds of things. You may not get what you
1: want. All right. So, Walt, let's close with uh, give us your Twitter and your blogs and all of your websites for our listeners. Okay.
2: Um, Slipdown Mountain Publications is our publishing arm, and that's slipdownmountain.com. And uh, our five rainbow services is five rainbows, and that's five spelled out, and rainbows is plural, .com. My primary blog is The View from the Publishing Trenches but the URL for it is just waltshield.com. That's S-H-I-E-L dot com. My uh, Twitter is uh, my Twitter ID is slip down, slipdown S-L-I-P-D-O-W-N um, I'm on Facebook also. Just look for Walt Shield and you'll find me. Um, I have other blogs at uh, sussanthewarbirds.com which course, deals with that book. Also, roughwar. dot com, which doesn't get updated very much because I'm trying hard to get the book finished. Hoping I'll make that midsummer date. That's the name of that World War II memoir. So,
1: um, I think that covered it. Okay, I'm sure they can find you. And uh, thank you on behalf of Tyler and Irene, who couldn't be here. And this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access where authors get published and published authors get successful. We'll be back next time when our topic will be Your Career as a Cartoonist, and our special guest will be Marie Davis. You can learn more about our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press.
0: And for Superior Book Promotions and filling in for Irene at Reader Views, this is Tyler Tischler.
1: For Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan, this is Victor Volkman wishing you all a good evening.